Oops, no, it's me. Hello, welcome to Sonic Talk number, what is it? It's uh, 453, that's right, as we creep towards the magic 500 number. I think that's going to feel like quite an achievement when we get there, but uh, still almost a year off, so uh, not get too excited yet. This is the Music Technology Podcast to do with uh, electronic music, music production, live production, software, recording, all those kind of things. So welcome to one and all to you if you're watching. You're probably watching this via the YouTube live stream. It will be archived and also available as a complete show but i chop the the mess off either end um just to to, to save our embarrassment uh, so please do subscribe on youtube uh, it's also available on itunes as an mp3 that's how this podcast actually started out was uh, mp3 so you can listen on your device on the way to work or whatever it is that you may do but uh, we do say thank you very much for joining us and i want to say thank you very much to our chat room we've got uh, a nice fulsome chat room as i'm allowed to say now because i think i've reached the point where people complaining about the you the words i use every week sort of just slide off like a wax from a bald head shall we say so uh, i'm gonna say hello to our guests oh i should say thank you to our sponsors of course isotope uh they are giving away a copy of their vocoder v- slash vocal processing plugin vocal synth that'll be about halfway through the show which is about an hour-ish long anyway let's get to our guests we'll start off with mr david spears there who's in his synth cave which as i was saying in the preamble I know that's plastic, but it does actually look like kind of Dickensian cobwebs in the background there on your on your synth. But it isn't, is it? It's uh, it's your clever um, keeping the dust off. Yeah, my dry cleaning bags. Your dry cleaning bags, off. but it does signify that they haven't been. Well, you haven't removed them for some time. Maybe they, there's dust on your dry cleaning bags, so it looks like cobwebs. And that's what ends up getting terrible because. Once you've got dust on your dry cleaning bags, they're so flimsy that you kind of go, ah, I'll have to throw this away now. Ah. And then that's not very environmentally friendly, so it's this whole kind of pandemonium. But I kind of got bored of, you know, like every weekend in here was taken up with my amazing, hang on, I'll show you this. This fits on the end of a hoover. (laughs) (laughs) That looks like something you might buy from a specialist uh, store that's based in Bath. (laughs) Oh yes, it was run by a friend of yours. Um, yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's is it called brilliant. the tickler by any chance? It should be. Oh, it's for um, shutter blinds. That's what it's for. Ah, um, neat. So you just waft yeah. that around. Well, stick the Hoover tube in there, and then kind of yeah. do that over your keyboards, and they're clean. But I got bored of that after you know, because it literally it does like takes up all your all, all weekend. I know it's. A, it's a terrible thing to be moaning about. Moaning about cleaning your synths. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dear Dave, I have find that fingerprints on the front of my vintage uh, Oberheim are becoming very tiresome. What do you recommend for cleaning them off? Without, yes. of course, sacrificing the safety of said instrument because, we, as we know, they are so valuable. Yeah. Do you get many of those no, emails? They, they are getting used. They are getting used. Um, but it's trying to remember to put the things back up afterwards because... It doesn't look very nice, does it, really? And actually, it looks better when I walk in in the morning and I, they're all there gleaming. I like, I like, what I like the idea of is if they get really hot and they fill up with air, so you get these sort of hot air balloon covers and they sort of rise to the ceiling. And that, that's, that's when you'd know that you were doing something, uh, um, you know, exciting with it or yeah, something. Some sub-bass blowing them around. And yeah, wafting. Like that guy like, yeah, last week with the, with, with with the phone books, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave Mead designs. So That's brilliant, isn't it? Anyway, Dave Spears, I forgot to say, synth uh, synth collector, uh, proprietor of G4Software.com, makers of fine software instruments. Thank you for joining us, Dave. 
um, I suppose we should say hello to Gaz now. I, the reason I didn't come to you first, Gaz, because you've just been back from Glass. Actually, I have to say, from a man who's just done seven shows at Glastonbury, you're looking pretty good. Have you been basically <laughs> asleep since you got back, or are you? Uh, was it not as heavy as as you thought it was going to be? I was quite wiped out yesterday, I have to be honest, because um, I was in Glastonbury from Thursday through till Monday, and it was only four gigs, and I've got bad news, the naked gig was cancelled. Oh, <laughs> what was it, too cold? <laughs> it was cancelled. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what the details were, but it, yeah, but I was just really done in about that gig. I just did not know what to do, and people were going, oh, you got to do it, man, you got to do it. Uh, and I was, ah, it's a struggle, you know, it was a struggle, so... That sadly, or badly, <laughs> didn't happen. But um, the gigs, uh, I played with four bands there, and they it, it was fantastic. You know, the, uh, it was very diverse. I uh, played with um, Afro-funk band Matuki. Yeah. So doing real, really kind of, you know, busy, busy, funky bass lines uh, showing off. Slap it, huh? <laughs> Really? Did you get to play the fun? You got you got to do a bit of uh, thumb action, did you? I did, I did, I did. And, <laughs> you know, I, I milked it too. I, Larry Graham is my man, you know. So I'm like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of you milking a bass at a naked gig at Glastonbury. There's something very sleazy about that, that thought. <laughs> it's, it's so, uh, but that well, was fun. But there was a story. There was a story. Oh, go on then. I, Five of the band didn't have access. Uh, they got down to Glastonbury, but for some reason, their way of getting on site didn't work. Uh, so we were, we're due to go on. It's a really big crowd as well. I mean, because um, it was on a Thursday, so it was kind of not a lot of things going on. on so, yeah, you had, a, you had a, a captive, really, captive audience. Really great. So we were all kind of, whoa. But we, were, we didn't have the horn section or the backing singers because they couldn't get on site. And come three o'clock, we sort of had gone up on stage, but we didn't want to start. We were kind of hope we'd heard that 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 they were on site and they were making their way down, or or that they, you know, oh no, they came to twenty past three, and they still hadn't turned up. So uh, so we just had to go to we had to go for it. But we explained to the audience what was going on, you know, so they knew they knew what was going on. Uh, but anyway. Uh, we had um, a guest percussionist with us, so we actually had like three per. Well, yeah, we had three percussionists. How many is too many percussionists? I would say three is <laughs> getting pretty close. These are fun, fun, phenomenal percussionists. Yeah, one guy's playing bells and blocks and that kind of stuff, you know, so in an African thing, you know, and a lot of Shakira sort of. Uh, Shakira, Shakira. That's the big gourd like thing covered in beads. Um, and djembe and congas. All right. So, so we did uh, we did a really funky thing, and we just did loads and loads of percussion breaks. <laughs> uh, and then, and anyway, presumably yes. you got a bass solo. I got quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, guys. I've got it covered. Doesn't matter if the rest of the band don't turn up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was my last gig with them as well. I've now left that band, so that was my last gig with them. Um, so I thought, yeah, let's. You know, <laughs> so I went to the front. I really, I, I did definitely. Um, hammed it up. Oh, yeah, hammed it up. Good definitely. for you. Uh, but anyway, the thing was, the horns came on right at the end of the gig for the last song. Oh. But actually, 
And it, the audience then, wow! They so love a good story, a real, don't they? It made a story, yeah. It made it into a drama. And it gave it like a narrative, and then it was absolutely fantastic. And then it was a real brilliant sort of crescendo then to the to the show. And uh, um, but then the next gig was with surf band Rumbelows. Yeah, and that was all kind of uh, you know, well, you've seen Rumbelows, Nick. Yeah, you know, brilliant. Kind of a, just very driven surf rock uh, instrumental mostly guitar but it's like organ uh then the next gig was with asteroid deluxe <laughs> psychedelic stuff yeah psychedelic stuff yeah and we did a very uncompromising psychedelic gig it was very nice uncompromisingly uh, psychedelic. well if you can't do that at glastonbury i don't know where you can do that so <laughs> good for you yeah 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 it's great that yeah that's, so um, um, did you did you get to use your uh synthesizers uh, uh, in the in the live environment on those big PAs, I mean that was something I was going to ask you about. Not for this one, but I did I, I, that one with Charlotte Church a few weeks back. Ah, uh, but okay. No, now with this one because I knew I was going to have to be trekking around, and actually I'm glad because of the mud. Everyone's probably heard how muddy it was. It yeah, was, it, Evis even said it was the muddiest one ever. Which it which, wasn't. It wasn't I, as muddy I, as two thousand. 2007 or 1998 yeah I they, find were, hard to they believe. were much worse they were much worse but uh time goes by and they forget but um the uh so the final gig then i played i finished the one gig on sunday about half past 11 and the next gig was one o'clock at the rabbit hole that's the charlotte church. church yeah i saw some yeah, footage yeah. but that was having to make it across the site it's quite a long way to where the rabbit hole is the, so glastonbury is an enormous site yeah this huge this park called the park, which is at the outer edge of, uh, I'm not sure what direction it is, but one of the outer edges anyway. Uh, so it was a trek, but of course it was, Arcadia was going on. Arcadia is this big... Um, oh, it's, it's the end like, of festival where they burn things and, and have lots of yeah, pyrotechnics, don't they? It's an yeah. enormous industrial kind of like spider thing that's, uh, you know, it's... It's a thrilling thing, but you know, I had to get up through there <laughs> uh, to get up to the gig. Uh, that was with the Char- Charlotte Church Pop Dungeon. I saw uh, some footage of that, and I have to say, um, I think that looks fantastic. And she's she could really sing it, and the song choices. Oh, yeah. so, I mean, sounds great. And I think there was a there was an article on uh, Fact Mag or some, what, some one of the mainstream press, and they just sort of went that mm. you know is one of the top twenty things of Glastonbury, which I think you know. So it must have been great to be involved in that. It was amazing. I mean, it was really great fun because it was anarchic, you know. And we kind of, um, well, you know, we were mixing stuff up. So you saw that there was an on Vogue, uh, Don't Let Go. Yeah. like a night. Now, Brilliant track. it's funny. See, it's a great track. But seeing like a very young audience, they all were singing it with all their hearts. They, that, that song, it's kind of like, wow, that's, it was really interesting. It's because it's but, been on uh, Britain's Got Talent. And oh, really? they, they cover the, the vocal group, not Britain's Got Talent, um, the vo- uh, not The Voice, what's the other one? Uh, oh, the other X cow- Factor? X Factor, yeah, they quite often okay. use it for girl bands because it's so beautiful harmonies and, don't, you know, they're really low and they're just, yeah, there's been, I, I think uh, Little Mix did it and, you know, so there's, there is there is some precedent. It's been sort of exposed right. since then. That's possibly one but, reason. But it's a kind of, that's a good example of the way we've been mixing stuff up. During the rehearsal, I went into 21st century schizoid man over the top of them, <laughs> over the top of them, singing it. And they carried on singing it. So that's why we kept in. So we did that at the gig, you know. So the boys, all the boys in the band, they just got what I was doing in the rehearsal. The drummer, he just got onto it straight away. Uh, and that was kind of the spirit of all the songs, just mixing up these wildly 
different elements and smashing them together. You know, so the 21st century schizoid man works really well. <laughs> so I guess we're like, um, you know, it was a it was a mashup sort of. Oh, it sounds know, like it sounds like a lot. Light. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, just out of interest, I mean, obviously, Dave, did you watch some of the some of the Glastonbury stuff? I remember I saw uh, a couple of things. LCD sound system looked really good. Uh, did you watch any of the stuff on the Beeb? Because the Beeb do brilliant coverage of it. No, I watched very little this year. I saw the lads. I saw a bit of the lads actually. That's underworld, right? And that was really funny because me and the missus were in bed, kind of looking at it, going. Nearly 60, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he gave an amazing well, performance. Was a, it was brilliant, utterly brilliant. And again, like we said a couple of weeks ago, it all sounded, everything that I heard sounded great, but I didn't see very much, I have to say. I just thought it was hilarious that we were kind of tucked up in bed. Yeah, I was watching it. I, I watched uh, Coldplay, which, you know, I'm not a massive fan of Coldplay, but I have to say, there's something about the vibe of that band. When you watch them live, you just think they are just really nice and not boring nice you know just they their, their hearts are really in the right place chris martin is just such a sort of smiley and sort of peace-loving individual you, it really came across and i just thought good for you you know because they did a thing with uh, viola beach who was the band yeah. uh, young lads who, who passed you know died in a tragic accident at the beginning of the year and they just covered one of their songs they said well we thought they should have they should headline glastonbury this yeah. is what might have been and, and just yeah. things like that that you know sound a bit schmaltzy but actually really translated well maybe it's my age but i just thought I, you know that's lovely my way I, my way with yeah. I tell you something funny. when when coldplay were playing that's when asteroid deluxe were playing and uh, we'd been down the main stage to watch beck which beck glorious beck uh, earlier on and they were giving out these wristbands they were more oh yeah watch uh they were RGB LCD ones, weren't they? So yeah, LED, yeah. yeah. And they didn't work then, but what was they sent out some signal. They gave out a hundred thousand of them, so it sent out this uh, coloured light. So I haven't seen the footage of it. Yeah, no, I did. I saw that. So basically, what yeah. happens is at certain points in the show, the lights on the stage go a certain colour, and yeah. all they get everybody to put their hands up in the air, and all of the lights on their hands were somehow, the colours of them were controlled via some radio but, signal, and they all went, that was amazing, actually. But what we did in Asteroid Deluxe, we got a bunch of them, because we were all there watching the Beck gig, and we wore them, because our stage was really near the <laughs> Pyramid stage, so we played at the same time, so we had the colours going off during our gig, so we, <laughs> which is a kind of strange um, hijacking of a sort. Um, yeah, oh, excellent. Well, um, I'm glad you had a good time, and I'm glad you survived it. Just like I say, we've got a bumper uh, live audience today i don't know what's going on it's uh, well over 300 which is you know a good number for us um so Woo-hoo! yeah hello everybody <laughs> i hope that doesn't make you all yeah. feel nervous right uh, not no, you guys you just on glastonbury right let's do a sh- let, let's do some let's do some topics then uh, topics. so uh here's number one right this was this is uh, from uh, Synthtopia. Our friends at Synthtopia have been at Summer Nam and uh, they've been checking out the OB6 desktop. D- Dave Smith Instruments OB6 desktop was announced last week. Rumours abounding. And uh, that now we've got... Uh, this is Carsten showing the OB6 desktop. Today with Synthtopia and Dave Smith Instruments at 2016 Summer Nam Nashville. Uh, for 2016 Nam, we've introduced the OB6 module. It is a smaller, more compact version of the OB6 keyboard. Has the exact same audio electronics on the insides, 
and every single knob and button from the keyboard as well. So if you want to have a module, you don't have enough room in your studio, you have too many keyboards, uh, it's exactly the same as the keyboard. So it just has this wonderful open forward sound of uh, Oberheim synthesizers uh, of the past. This one is based off the SEM voice, uh, particularly the filter. I won't play it all because we have covered the OB6 when it came out at NAMM, but I mean, that desktop format does look particularly delicious, actually. And I have to say, and I've said it before, I tried the uh, OB6 at NAMM and it does, it sounds wonderful. And this one, the, what they've added is uh, polychaining, so you could put two of them together and 12 voices, Dave. How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel like reaching into your massively reduced pound-to-dollar fund? <laughs> yes, yes, of course. I was going to say, it's probably going to cost a million pounds by the time it comes here. Yeah, um, Yeah, I really want to... I, I, I haven't played one, so I really want to try it. I like the idea of the desktop, because uh, I might be able to squeeze it in somewhere. Uh, yeah, I'd just really like to play one. Yeah, they, uh, they do sound In fact, nice. it's weird. There are too many synths sort of beckoning me, luring me, <laughs> buy me, buy me. Is that one? I saw the black two-voice. Oh, yeah, the Sam. That looked Today, which, you know, with the sequencer and stuff, I'm like, ooh, that would be rather nice. And then, obviously, there's the Mini Moog and other things. So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, there's a lot out there to kind of tempt me. And they're all around that kind of yeah. figure, aren't they? They are, yeah. But yeah, I really would like to try this. I have a, I think I said before, you know, we've got issues with one of the OB8s. Uh, when you tune it, one of the voices pops out. So, all right, you know, you've still got seven uh, voices to play with, but you can't actually you can't turn it off yet. and turn it on again and you get all eight. But it's that, it's the fragility of it that kind of concerns me. Whereas yeah. there's these things where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could buy this and get a warranty. Well, yeah, there is that. There is that, definitely. But it does look like a nice uh, a nice addition. And I think there's something cute. I mean, because obviously not everybody needs a keyboard. They've got keyboards that they like and what have you. But yeah, something that uh, I think people will be very keen on. I'm sure, Gaz, you know, a desktop would suit you. Actually, um, speaking of desktops, I've got, uh, I got the Zero Coast here, which is the Make Noise module, which is a lovely thing, Ooh. a thing of beauty, I have to say. Well, that's a, but it's that's a, a desktop. It, it, well, it is. It's a. It's it's a, um, a sort of West Coast voice. It says Zero Coast, but I mean, they say it's not really one or the other. But it certainly isn't an East Coast vo uh, an East Coast voice. There's no filter, and you know, there's that. There are definitely. It's a wave folder and stuff. And it's uh, the thing that I'm finding. I mean, I I know about synthesis, but I'm not very au fait with um, West Coast synthesis. So I'm. I'm. It's much harder to review than a regular synth because you don't know where the sweet spots are and what they're so good at. So I'm, I'm, I'm it's going to take me a little bit of time to get my head around, but looking forward to that, most definitely. Yeah. But I mean, we knew this. I guess this yeah. is this was an obvious, uh, an obvious thing to come out, wasn't it? The uh, the OB6 in the in that module format. Uh, it's it follows all their products in a similar kind of timeline, doesn't it? Um, however, uh, you know, the idea of having one of those, and then maybe having the profit version, having, you know, in a relatively small space is a, incredibly tempting, isn't it? I mean, beautiful synthesizer in that small footprint. It's like, 
oh, you know, it's really, it's beautiful. We've talked about this a lot over the years, but just this whole sort of desirability coming really back in, you know, where these are objects, they're much more than just a sort of technological, you know, for 20 odd years, the boxes have been these kind of nasty technological things, you know, that are there for, um, you know, powerful purposes. But these are something more. There's an organic beautifulness to them. It's more like, you know, it's tapping into something, uh, you know, like a real joy of ownership. Yeah, it's like the sort of boutique, the boutiqueness. It's that, that I, I, I totally do get you. Um, but yes, absolutely. Uh, of course, this joyous news is somewhat tempered by the, the news of Mr. Bernie Worrell, who uh, passed away, oh. uh, which is is really sad. I mean, for those of you yeah. who don't know, um, Bernie uh, is, uh, he was kind of the one of the, the, the main voices of funky synth. I mean, I can't think of anything that, to, uh, any other way to describe him. I mean, he basically pioneered the use of proper synthesizers in funk music. I mean, to my ears anyway, I mean, certainly us that sort of, really loose groovy kind of vibe and i didn't know much all that much about him but he was hugely classically trained and really skilled as a keyboard player so all that looseness and stuff is actually quite counterintuitive if you're trained that way so that you know his his ear and his ability is sort of even more special in many ways but yeah very sad i mean he never looked well the last few months that we saw him and he was at trade shows and moog fest and what have you and he always looked like he was kind of suffering a bit so i suppose you know there's there's some respite for him at least but it's it's a very sad thing i know dave you were really big into kind of you know your funk so he must have been quite a major uh, dude on your on your list of uh, dudes yeah massive massive it was uh i don't know this year's not proven to be a brilliant year again is it really no. i know i had a conversation with michelle mokuza at the beginning of the year and she said uh, we were talking about how grim 2015 was and she said, I think we're in for a bumpy ride 2016, and that's kind of proved it. I mean, I work, you know, as you know, I work with tons of people, and I very rarely do this, but there he is. Ah, you got a picture. And he signed it there, because I don't know whether you remember that Kickstarter thing with Bernie, get Bernie a van. Oh, yeah. Well, I did. I punted some money over to that, and also... Uh, when he was ill, there was a little bit of a campaign going. And uh, so, yeah, that sits on my wall, uh, only alongside a couple of other th- pictures, really. But, um, yeah, massive. I, there was something, God, I could talk all day about it, but it's, it, Funkadelic was a really pivotal moment. I kind of grown up on that. I was always into Stevie Wonder and music in my mind and talking book and all of those things, which I've talked about loads of times. And I'd kind of done the pop music, you know, as a kid, I'd kind of done pop music and then I'd kind of done a bit of prog and that was all very kind of intellectual. And then punk came along and kind of that was that was much more kind of, you know, get pissed, destroy thing. And then uh, which I loved because it was exactly the right age for me. And then I started to kind of get into I think because of the Stevie Wonder stuff, I started to get into funk a lot. And then that through that got into the Herbie Hancock stuff, which kind of sent me down this kind of jazz fusion route, which was great. And exactly the time where I was really getting into Herbie around the sunlight time and chameleon time, uh, One Nation Under a Groove came out and it was like, 
I had to have that record that day. In fact, I did bunk off school, skive off school to go to a record store to buy it. And I was incredibly envious of somebody who managed to get it a day ahead of me. And that just didn't come off. the. And then, you know, it's things like Flashlight. Flashlight just... Ah, amazing. And what I absolutely... Well, I mean, I've got... Uh, hang on. Don't say anything, otherwise it'll feedback, but... Yes, yes. Etc. Etc. Those, <laughs> those tones. That tone is just, and it fell out of his fingers. You know, when you see somebody like that, who was, I mean, he went to Juilliard, didn't he? Yeah, that's fame, Scott. Uh, did uh, no? Hold on, I was reading a little bit about this. Uh, was it true that that sound was three minis stacked together, which seems <laughs> massively excessive? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Is the honest answer. I don't think. I so. hope so. I mean, I, just done that with mini monster but then you hear him with things like burning down the house and burning down the house actually came from a p-funk gig you know that i think talking heads were at a p-funk gig and you know burn down the house was a kind of charm and they went away and then when you see him on that tour you know he's using the way i don't i'm not a huge fan of oscillator sync you know with that sweeping sync on the envelope to me it's 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 too much like the cars for me right but when you hear somebody like Bernie Worrell using it on Burning Down the House, you just go, it's just funk personified. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It just changed everything for me. And I've worked, I've been so fortunate to work with some, you know, he was, Bernie was perfect pitch. And I've worked, you know, Dale, brother-in-law's perfect pitch. And when you work with people who do that, they're, there's no boundary between what they hear and what they play as long as they're reasonably dexterous. So it just kind of falls out of their fingertips. Even if it's in a slightly slovenly, sloppy manner, it's beautifully musical. And I'm so, so envious of all of those people. So, yeah, I say thank you very much, Bernie. Oh, that's a that's a lovely thought. Actually, when you say perfect pitch, there were some of the solos that he played. I was listening, and he uses the deviation of the pitch. And there's one note. There was I forget. I was listening to some stuff today, and there was a note when it was sort of moving around, and then suddenly it's just right, almost. You know, when you get two tones that are so the same, it almost disappears. He did that, and it was just so effective. And I just thought, wow. But I guess bass wise, Gaz. I mean, in terms of keyboard bass as well. I mean, he was the oh. the man. You know. Ah, definitely. I mean, you know. I think I was trying to work out what was his greatest contribution to sort of music. And in a way, I think it is the, the, the mod wheel action, you know, his mod wheel sort of action is just, you know, like we could talk about, um, you know, Van Halen's use of the whammy bar, you know, it's, 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 he, he was the mod wheel King, I think. You know? <laughs> um, and there's loads of great examples of it. He, he, he cause he, I guess it was like, he was so in the pocket of the music that when there's those little kind of, you know, Wow, I was just—I was going to throw and, some pictures. I'm just throwing some pictures while you talk. I think it's appropriate. You know, the pitch bend wheel on the mini Moog is not the easiest thing to handle it in a music. Not being it's sprung. Like, no, it's not sprung, and it's got a very strange. You know, I think it's something like I don't know plus eight or something. But it's like you've really got if you want that kind of plus two range. Hang on, I'll give you a three. If you want that kind of vibe, <laughs> that's that's that horrible sync sound. But hang on, it's quite difficult. Yeah. All that stuff. Was he doing it with a pitch wheel, well, not the, min- the mod wheel? 
on a mini moog that's really difficult ah. and that's where people like george duke and stuff were amazing because they would you know it would be they could hear it it would just go to like a plus four and they'd that just be able to hold it there with their ear and it's the same with people like herbie hancock when you think that you know things like chameleon were done on a odyssey there's no 440 reference tuning on an odyssey there was no indentations for you know perfect tuning on each of the oscillators so they kind of freak out if you listen to chameleon when he starts going absolutely mental and then he brings it back in and it's in pitch and in tune and you go that's like remarkable uh well mm. actually that uh, yes oh well we could go on but that's interesting that it's to do with the uh the perfect pitch that's that's a very interesting idea uh, but again it, i come back to the fact that you know even though he was classically you know he was a sort of child prodigy you know mozart and jazz and and really kind of very technically adept although you would not guess it from the way that he played so freely with a synthesizer which again is is quite an unusual thing particularly with people who are very well trained and classically trained because feel is not something that is is trained in is it in in those in and in many ways it's trained out of you if you're if you study classical kind of very cl- very carefully and very closely technique is everything isn't it yeah well i've lost your video dave but that's all right we'll come back to gaz okay well um obviously very sad news for um, our thoughts go out to bernie and his immediate family and you know all friends and anybody's worked with him and you know but again it comes back to the but we've got so much great stuff of his that we can listen to and for me it was the talking heads the burning down the house that at that era that just really kind of like made me go wow that is awesome um so yeah absolutely brilliant Okay, well, maybe I'll do an ad now because uh, Dave appears to be uh, um, videoless. Videoless. So I'm just going to do the ad, Dave, and then you can uh, you can okay. figure that out. Okay. We want to say uh, yes. So we say thank you very much to our sponsors. Show sponsors, of course, uh, being uh, Isotope. And here's a little information. This is their new vocal synth. This is the vocoder module. Many modules in this uh, vocal processing. There's Polyvox, which does harmonies. Organic heart for pitch tracking harmonies. Classic vocoder, the robotic vocals from another world, as it says there. There's also a CompuVox, which is more of a kind of Kraftwerkian, shall we say. Talkbox. This is available now from Isotope. Uh, if you go to isotope.com forward slash vocal synth, then you will be able to get hold of this. There is demos as there are with all of Isotope's products, so check it out. And of course, um, excuse me, and of course, we do have competition as well. Uh, last week, we asked you to uh, tweet out the hashtag. Uh, Vocal synth and total vocoder, and I just like—I'm very pleased actually. This, this is the winner today is uh, Mechanic Music. Mechanic is a very keen commenter on Sonic State and uh, YouTube, and it's really nice to see that he's won something. So, uh, Mechanic Music, Mechanic—I'm assuming it's the same Mechanic. He said, uh, "Make my Vox sound as nice as the Fairies Vox." Because if you have, if you're watching the video version of this, uh, then you will probably realise that uh, that was the Isotope Fairy. Oh, the the previous the 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 former isotope fairy who was uh, who was singing in that video so uh, i want to say thank um thank you to mechanic for joining 
sorry, I'm slightly distracted because I think uh, Dave's kind of trying to get back connected. So Mechanic Music, Mechanic underscore Music, you have won a copy of Vocal Synth. So please do uh, get in touch and claim your prize. And of course, if you want to uh, get in, if you want to win this week, because we're also we're giving away yet another copy of uh, Vocal Synth, and we're looking for the tweet. T- for you to tweet the hashtag Art of the Voice, one word, and Vocal Synth to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's the hashtag Art of the Voice and the hashtag Vocal Synth, all one word, to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Once again, we thank them very much for their sponsorship of the show. Do we have. There's a revolution happening right now. You can hear it. It's the difference between listening to music and being inside the music. Between watching a movie. This is the news that uh, Waves doing a Kickstarter for Waves NX 3D Studio, which is a really interesting, uh, I use the word uh, carefully, and it's all taking place development inside your headphones. It's called 3D audio, and now everyone can experience it with Waves NX. Here at Waves Audio, We've come up with a way for you to enjoy 3D sound. Great name, Yoni Leviathan, isn't it? That's... Waves NX is an application that you install on your computer or mobile device, and together with the NX Head Tracker, it will turn any pair of headphones into a 3D audio experience. NX models human anatomy and uses psychoacoustic algorithms to recreate the experience of how we hear sounds from the real world. NX takes 3D audio one step further by tracking your head movement using the NX Head Tracker. Wherever you move, right, left, up, down, forward, and back, NX will track your precise position and adjust the sound accordingly. Now that, to me, is seems like such an obvious solution. I don't, is, it, is that the first of that time that that's happened? I'm Gaz. I mean, and, uh, you know, we, we've come across 3D audio and various solutions before, but they're generally static, aren't they? They generally kind of are in the the actual mix yeah. phase rather than the listening yeah. phase, right? Yeah, I mean, this is amazing, isn't it? And I think uh, the fact that it's something that can clip onto any headphone, or so they say, but that, that, that it's not like a headphone system that they're offering, but the software and this little thing. It sort of seems to just what, click clip on somehow. It's like a the... big, it flashes like a blue light, you know, <laughs> so people can yeah, see yeah. it. Come... Um, but it's an incredible idea, isn't it? Because uh, I'm sure that, well, v, VR, as we were talking about on the show recently, is just going to be so huge over the next few years. Um, and there is such a, an emphasis on it being on the, the visual but you know the idea that you can you know experience a virtual reality soundscape by moving your head around is uh wow i mean for listening to music it is just going to make it feel like a whole new new paradigm isn't it you know listen to an orchestra and just be able to just slightly move your head and hear the diff- just yeah I'm very interested in this, Nick. I've got to be honest. I think it's really, really interesting. Uh, again, we'll probably look back at this in years to come and, and our naivety, you know, when everybody's done it and it's a very ex- accepted way of doing stuff. But uh, right now, I'm just having to fantasise about it. And I think it's, well, I mean, the whole surround sound, it'll give surround sound mixing a whole new lease of life. Um do you think? Wow. I mean, I wonder. I wonder about that just purely because 
it's I don't know what how where the control of this is because it seems like the process the processing is post so the 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 the, the widget that sits on top of your head yeah. is something that uh, is tackled should, it, it, it is the thing that that affects the psychoacoustic stuff right. I should just qualify my statement there. I was thinking about the concept rather than the product that once we've got this idea that we can move our heads around within a virtual space. Coming back to the, the waves thing, yes, you're right. It's a processor, isn't it? So I'm not sure. Uh, is, it, is it a standalone thing? Can you listen? Can you just listen to your regular iTunes and whatever music library through it? I think that's the idea. It's for processing. It processes either on your app or on your um, uh, as a, as a plugin as a plugin or, or uh, in a, well in an application in terms of um, the uh, um, oh what am I trying to say in terms of the I'm try, what I'm trying to do is try and get Dave connected at the same time as, 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 as say a <laughs> okay. conversation so I think it's what it, no I think what it does is it, it processes music that's through it so uh, it's like your either your iTunes output or maybe something if it's on your iOS device it but it reads the positional data from the headphone so from your from your headphone widget which means that it move when you move around yeah, uh, yeah. then I guess it's doing frequency and time based program because it can't access the individual elements of the mix obviously because you know so it doesn't have so it does make potentially then surround sound mixing in headphones a much more realistic prospect. I know. think so. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, cause it's, I read there's two parts to it, isn't it? The first thing that they brought out was, uh, just studio monitor simulation, a little bit like, uh, the, um, uh, the focus, right. Uh, what was that called? The VRM, uh, where it was, that obviously was a static thing, not a 3d thing. Uh, so very interesting. I mean, it, I, when these ideas become normal, we, when we've normalized these ideas, it's going to be interesting to see just what a difference it is right now. It does still feel like it's one step into the future. Um, so I'm, that's why I'm excited about it because it makes sense. Um, but I have been experiencing various things of VR recently as well, which has been very exciting. So there's a lot of amazing stuff to come in this area. We're all going to get completely absorbed in it. That's yeah, I mean, it does seem like this is possibly aimed at the gaming thing. Certainly from the video, there's an element of that uh, going on. So, I mean, but they did, this isn't the first thing that they've announced. I mean, the other thing that's actually quite major about this is this is a Kickstarter pro, um, um, thing, and they've raised something like 100K of a 200K target to make this happen. And it, it's caused a bit of a ruction, really, because, you know, Waves being a pretty successful software company, presumably with uh, R&D funds and what's have you available, it seems somehow not in the spirit of... Um, uh, of Kickstarter, but I, I don't know whether that's uh, that. You know, whether do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, it's an odd one for me. I think I said before this 3D sound is a bit of an odd one. Uh, my analogy is always the same. It's a bit like fast food and pornography. It seems to promise everything and deliver nothing of any real substance. Uh, and I said that once on a podcast. And actually, John, uh, the main engineer here used to work for a company called Sensora who developed a lot of 3D stuff for games and because it's done on phase stuff and uh, frequency plotting and stuff uh, he gave me an writing rollicking which was quite funny uh, which I admit I probably deserved but uh, this is for me this is a 
don't tell me show, show me. me let yeah. me hear yeah. Well, they've got halfway uh, through. Um, they've got a hundred. I mean, they're doing this on Kickstarter, which again seems, a, 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 you know, is an interesting way of doing things. And I don't know whether that's um, that's okay or not. I don't suppose it really matters. But the point is, is that it's uh, it's the way they do. It. They're a hundred k. I think I've got the web page here. They're a hundred k up. They've got uh, thirty two days to go, and it looks like they're going to make it. And it's going to be for September delivery. I mean, I'm guessing, you know, you have to get the hardware and stuff, or whatever. But it feels it feels somehow not not right because you know they're a successful company already it's you know it's so funny that whole kickstarter thing we when we were doing the bright sparks thing you know we, we put our own money into that and uh halfway through somebody said well, why don't you do a kickstarter thing and i was like no no the thing is with kickstarter you know i don't i can't dip, be dealing with gambling with somebody else's money and it keeps you on your toes if it's your own money and all the rest of it and the same person came back to me saying rule, rule number one never gamble with your own money always gamble with somebody or business rule number one always gamble with somebody else's money and i was like yeah you might have a point actually yeah and then, of course, <laughs> there we the go film uh not funded and whatnot so you can't blame them yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just are waves that big a company really? I mean, they're. A big I don't know. I suppose they've, they've been around for a long time. I suppose so. Maybe yeah, it's not the same but, thing. Yeah. Well, most music technology companies are pretty small, really, aren't they? You know, compared to big companies. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it is a perceptual thing. I mean, quite often people say when they come here or they, you know, they say, "Oh, is this it?" I thought you were massive with loads of people, but it's it's about <laughs> it's about perception and brand, isn't it? And I suppose, you know, smoke and mirrors and all of those things. So, yeah. Well, good on them. I mean, if it works, I mean, it's the second mm. product in their um in in the NX family. I think they did a virtual room program for a virtual monitoring, yeah. which I think was similar to the Focusrite Novation thing. Mm. VRM. VRM, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I use VRM quite a bit uh, but it became discontinued so I, I bailed out with it uh, but I actually did find it was very useful I liked what it did to my mixing I thought my mixes translated really really well so I, I, I do think there is a lot I love working with headphones I find it is absorbing I, I, I'm deeply involved in the music when I've got headphones on it just I, I'm there I'm in the zone uh, I feel that you know I, I've shut the world off I'm in there. So anything that can make the headphone experience more useful is is brilliant, you know. So I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of this kind of idea. There's no reason why it shouldn't work. I don't think. No, I suppose not. But if you want to check it out, uh, go to Kickstarter and search for the Waves NX3D Audio and check that out. Um, we do have. There are more topics. Uh, this one I like a lot. This is again another great video from our friends at Synthotopia from Summernam. Oh, look, sponsored by Soundmondo, which is the new Yamaha sound site. There we go. I have to tap them up if they're advertising, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, this is uh, a chap. I don't know what the name of the guy is. Amelia's Compass is the company. I'm with Amelia's Compass. We're at our first NAMM show here with our new product. And the product is called Controller Hub 8. And it's a way to add expression controllers to your live performance. So this is the product itself. It has eight quarter inch tip ring sleeve connectors for attaching expression pedals and on-off foot switches and sustain switches and so forth. And then on the other side, you have five pin MIDI in and out and USB MIDI in and out. So the purpose of this is to allow you to hook up as many as eight foot controllers and get them on USB, at which point they go into your laptop, your iPad or other um, MIDI enabled hardware 
and you assign the controller movements to the internal parameters, okay. which you can play in real time. You, you're using both your hands to play your instrument. Now, I, I, I do recommend you go and check that out, but it, I, I also, as I understand it, it will spit out via the uh, MIDI port. So essentially you can take a MIDI, uh, an expression pedal and map that to whatever you can take up and down foot switches and increment through program changes. I mean, it's just lots and lots of ways to take an analog input and turn it into MIDI signals. And it's got flash ROM, so you save the parameters into flash ROM and it's adjusted by a sysx. In fact, they've got a MIDI designer um, template for adjusting the behavior of all of the things like minimum and maximum oh, value and I just thought what a brilliant idea and uh, I think it's about it's, it's quite expensive about 400 bucks for the uh, box but you know it's the sort of thing that if you have a need then that's probably one of the only things that will do it I'm um, guess you know you're playing you know your comp as your system gets more and more complex both your hands are full with your bass I mean f you know, yeah. and you're, you're, I mean I guess as a guitarist you're used to tapping around on the floor with to get more things happening yeah I mean you know this thing for instance this is old uh but it's got this has got six expression pedal inputs on there which are all mappable so ah. when i saw that thing i was thinking okay well it's, it's like a, a cut down one of these without what, what is, is that roland or a behringer one <laughs> yeah it's, it's the roland fc 200 uh so this is what i'm using with my midi bass setup but i'm really interested in this idea and i think it's really neat that actually i gotta be honest it's it is quite interesting to me because uh, I have got quite a lot of uh, expression pedals, and the thing I'm doing at the moment is very much about that because uh, I'm playing MIDI bass. I love having loads of foot control. It's really amazing. Um, but it is time-consuming, isn't it? All this kind of stuff is very time-consuming. Yeah, it's live performance, isn't it, really, I think, where you mm. need to recreate stuff and you haven't got enough hands, mm. fingers, or mm -hmm. bandwidth, I suppose. But, uh, one of the things I thought it would be amazing for is for um, looping, live loopers, you know, because a lot of the live, you know, loop, physical loopers that have come out, they're very good, but there's a kind of limit to them. But with the computer-based loopers... Uh, like Mo Mobius running inside of Ableton Live, if you take that sort of combo, the amount of uh, amazing, you know, build up an amazing multi-part song that you could do with lots of foot control. Uh, I think a lot of loopers would be very interested in this little box, I think. Um, this is quite nice as well because, you know, he's sort of talking about it as for foot controllers, but they could be anywhere, couldn't they? They could yeah. be all sorts of, you know, if you wanted to build some sort of... Uh, crazy thing with joysticks switches yeah yeah things. Just, it's a really useful little little box to to have yeah um, i mean the chat room are all saying it could make it in arduino yeah i'm sure you could but i guess to make it you know gig worthy robust and rememberable and something you can stick on the floor and kick around is probably a different kettle of fish dave you know you've got a lot of synths there I mean, the one thing I've been finding since I've been performing live, you know, I've only got three synths on the go or four synths on the go, but I'm already starting to think maybe I should get some expression pedals or something so that I can add, certainly with electronic music, expression is harder to get, especially with older synths, which don't have, you know, polytouch or aftertouch or, you know, much velocity sensitivity. So to add all the expression in afterwards is actually, you know, it's quite normal. But I've never really been a foot pedal kind of guy. Have you got any volume or expression pedal? Do you use that kind of thing? Have you got a? Yeah. Have you always got a breath controller tucked into your top pocket? <laughs> breath controller. In fact, it's great because I've got the 
that you probably, I don't know whether you can see it, but the Jupiter 8's there, and on top of it is the little CSO one with the breath controller, which I've been mucking around with. But it does, I, I do make it sound like an asthmatic. Um, I do use expression pedals, but not hugely. Uh, it can't, I guess it depends what I'm, what kind of stuff I'm playing. If it's more electronic you know, noodling stuff, I, I don't tend to. But I, I need a hold pedal. I need a hold pedal on everything that I use, basically. Uh, and then, in fact, it's funny, I did a couple of vids of, you know, doing live stuff with this. And the most amusing thing is me dying from one side of the room while still having one foot on the hold pedal of the JPA, kind of then reaching across to kind of fire off the 808 and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thought there was a couple of things that really made me smile about this. Uh, the first one was that they had a piece of kit that was so old and then it stopped working and they couldn't do without it that they just kind of went, we have to make something like this. And I love that. That's a very, uh, that's a very British kind of thing, isn't it? And also the other bit where he says about uh, the fact that, you know, the guitar based stuff has a lot of uh, switches and stuff, which we as keyboard players don't generally need. Well, quite often, you'd, yes. have, yeah, you'd have the foot pedals on the table next to you, next to your synth. I mean, a lot of people use it in modular world, and you so you bash it with your palm or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing exactly the same with things. Like, I bought that another Strymon thing fairly recently, and that just sits by the modular, and I'll bung it in in tap time and using my hand. Uh, yeah. I, but yeah. I have, sorry, I have all my, no. my sounds... Sorry, Dave. I jumped in. Um, no, not at all. I have all. I have volume control for each of my sound sources as a foot pedal for live, and uh, you know, so that's not so much expression as just sort of functionality. But um, of course, you don't really need to have that in a studio. But it's just, it's so lovely just to be able to bring in one sound source and then just to creep in another sound source and then fade the other sound source out with uh, with the with the pedals uh, volume. Just doing volume, as boring as that, but really is a beautiful, beautiful amount of control when I've got it. So I've been having three, three, um, three volume controls on the floor, one for the Erebus, one for the Strike Fet, and one for the regular bass guitar sound. Um, what volume pedal do you use out of interest? Uh, I've got two. I've got the Sonus Volume, volume yeah. uh, which, bless it, it's come back from Glastonbury. Like the Wahoo, I've got the two of them caked in mud they're still working beautifully but they're absolutely stinking uh, <laughs> i got what's that one i got i got one of lovely these things these things absolutely amazing the boss oh fcp1 is that or F F fv fv 500l is that stereo it's a, it's a stereo volume pedal but it's also got an expression pedal out on there as well uh and then it's got a little control so you can kind of choose the minimum range. But um, it's got amazing, uh, it's just a lovely, I love the action on it. It's quite big, isn't it? So, so the action is, uh, it's, very, it's very cool. I can find 
really again, so yeah that's quite often the way isn't it yeah well of course yeah. i mean another fact i mean we've seen that there was that uh, famous video oh, i think we did it with vangelis with his super synth with all those custom controllers and then on the oh, floor yeah. there's just an entire semicircle of volume pedals oh, where really? he's bringing in all the various and you know it's almost playing it like bass pedals on an organ i mean it's that complex but it kind of makes sense really because i mean certainly when i was performing in cardiff you know i i I, I was conscious because I had more synths and I kept them to reach over and I didn't have it. And if I knew, I'd just be able to hit it with my foot and it would I wouldn't miss a beat quite so often as I did on that particular day. So I, I'm, I'm thinking there's there's definitely some mileage in there. And just I'm curious to, like I said, I'm curious to know what people use. And also there's there are control voltage pedals as well. Are there, do you know if there wasn't there a Korg one that's supposed to be pretty good for for actual CV out or is it a Roland one? I forget which. I can't remember to be honest. There was one. Yeah, you're right. But we yeah, need a multi. Yeah, uh, we, it, about it. we need a multi, multi. Uh, 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 you know, a multi-purpose foot pedal that isn't like trying to be really, really clever, but it just goes. It can be stereo volume, or maybe twin volume with two modes, or maybe CV out, just so you can tap it in and out of. You know, that'd be kind of useful because MIDI, while it can work, the problem is, is because it's continuous controller, they do get reset everyone so certainly with a patch change in it for instance it's quite difficult to maintain volume across patch changes for instance, so it doesn't it doesn't work in quite the same way you, you need something a bit more uh consistent than that so yeah but uh, i forgot what even where this started now but yeah um what was it oh yes that's right it's the uh it's the they're called uh, amelia's compass and it's amelia's compass uh with one l uh, dot com and that's where you can buy them now i think it's 390 for the hub which is dollars which is obviously in the uk is is a fortune at the moment because of our brexit situation uh, that's all i'm going to say on the subject and 60 bucks for the foot switch as well so uh so yeah there's something to check out right um now let's wonder whether we should we should we do the uh let's see whether to do the the Tony, Tony, what do we want? Do we yeah, want to do? Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that was really good. This is uh, from. Continuecon, which is the first uh, modular synthesis. This is a talk by Tony Rolando. This is quite uh, turbulent right now. Lots happening. But before we discuss that, I'm just going to bring it forward a bit because he says something quite interesting. This is. I'm going to miss and skip over a lot. Of he talks. Uh, he's talking. This is a talk. He's talking about the the kind of history and differences between East and West Coast synthesis, which I've not really seen summarised in such a kind of uh, brilliant way. But the, one of the, the first things he says is very interesting. Uh, I'm going to start back in the '60s, and um, at that point, no internet. It's not very easy to communicate across the country. Um, like it is now. People weren't sharing ideas with uh, such fluidity as they are now. Um, and we had on the East Coast, Bob Moog developing his modular synthesizer, and on the West Coast, Don Buchla de developing his, um, using pretty similar technology. I mean, it wasn't like there was a lot to choose from at that point for what you could do affordably. So they were using basically the same kind of stuff, but producing two very different instruments. Um, now to the layperson, the instruments were probably identical. Um, an oscillator is an oscillator to your average person that's listening to a pop song. But to the musicians that use them, they were quite different. And on the... Now, uh, I encourage you to watch the whole of this thing because uh, it, it just basically outlines the differences and he starts with the different approaches. Obviously, you, have, you know, started with the, the, the West Coast vibe, which was the first big, big electronic record being um, 
uh, Wendy uh, Wendy slash Walter Carlos's switched on Bark, which was massive. It sold like slew nine hundred thousand copies. I mean, just enormous numbers of copies for something that's so niche and experimental. But at the same time, Morton Subodnik using the uh, West Coast style, which were the Silver Apples of the Moon, which was a much smaller record, but it has now become started to become kind of quite heard of. And it, but the first thing he said that I thought was really uh, made me sort of stop and think, which was there was no internet. So people were, were actually um, developing in, in isolation, which made me think, well, that's something that just doesn't happen anymore, really, because it's so easy to kind of look something up or communicate with someone or do that. And those sort of instances of kind of isolated innovation are rarer and rarer. And I wonder if that's something that, that also contributes to it. First of all, Dave, I mean, I'll just, I, did you get a chance to watch the whole thing? It was half an hour, and I know uh, we're all busy. So, uh, but great, a great, from what I did see of it, I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. It did look really, really interesting and a good way of figuring out how to define those things. Yes, I think if anybody has an interest in West Coast, East Coast, you know, it really, it, it was a very clear it was brilliant actually I was very impressed with it uh, and he went off on all sorts of tangents uh, impressive yeah very impressive it's, and we were saying you know it's things like Bob having the keyboard and this really does resonate with me because there's a lot of things you know that I talked to various people Bright Sparks interestingly enough talking to Alan Perlman about the fact he loved uh, Silver Apples of the Moon and, Red, and the Red Bull and stuff like that you know which is very West Coast uh, that always that kind of made me smile, and the idea that you know Moog, I mean we talk, Herb Deutsch talks about it in the Bright Sparks thing, and that you know after him and Bob had kind of done, built the modular, they didn't know whether to put a keyboard on it, and they went to Vladimir Ustachevsky, and that was the big RCA synthesizer. Well, that didn't have a keyboard on it, and it was like, well, do we put a keyboard on it? And actually, it was Herb, uh, Herb who said we should put a keyboard on it because that way it won't alienate people who've never seen these things before and we could do 12-tone stuff. I mean, this is all in the kind of film. So this idea that... And I love this. I could talk about this all day. The fir very first time I met Bob Moog was at the opening of, synth of that synth museum in the early 90s. And I just started... Uh, a, in fact, we were filming it. That was the thing we saw ages ago, wasn't it? You know, the old video that uh, we showed a little bit of. Uh, and I did the sound, and my then business partner was the narrator and whatnot. And we just started a software company. It was like the first time we'd ever done anything. We'd kind of had an idea on a wet Wednesday afternoon and thought, oh, that might have legs. I was working in a studio with a, with a, a couple of pro producers who just needed such a thing that we produce so we kind of went again no internet it was like so what do we do with it you know do we want to sell three for a thousand pounds each or do we want to sell three thousand for 30 pounds each or three pounds each so we just put an advert in the back of and it's it sounds hilarious now we put an advert in the back of sound on sound and we had a po box number and we asked people to send checks or postal orders to an address well that world just doesn't exist anymore and it seems amazing that also during that bright sparks thing right at the very beginning of it will gregory says about that period was the walls were up 
and it was like the space race and the arms race that people weren't talking to each other but then somebody would come out with something and it's like well we've got to do that and oh god the japanese have done that we've got to do that kind of thing but it was all reactionary there was no kind of cooperation and bob mo talked about this at the synth museum this spirit of the it's like this collective consciousness which effectively is a zeitgeist isn't it where everyone's doing things in def different locations um, but they're all based around what technology can provide at that given time and whatnot. And as a result, you get all of these pockets. One of the things that Will said to conclude his piece, but I didn't put it in because it brought it up to date and I wanted this to be about the people uh, back then, was that so then the walls were up and it was like the arms race and the space race. But now with the advent of Eurorack, and that's why it was really interesting listening to this Make Noise guy talk about it, with the advent of Eurorack, it's like the United Nations of Synthesis have finally come home. And one person in one part of the world can build a thing, but it slots in that rack and it works perfectly with another thing that somebody else in another part of the world. And I thought that was really poignant. And again, listening to this, it just kind of all... It all dovetailed together. Mm, yeah, and I, I take your point. I guess my thought was really it, it, it's almost Im impossible to work in isolation. And I wonder whether that's necessarily a good or a bad thing because, you know, I, isolation is... It, 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 you you have to guess so much, don't you? You have to think. Well, I saw that once, some sometime ten years ago, and I, I like the feeling it gave me. I'm trying to find that feeling, and you come up with a route to getting there, which may be completely off the wall and wrong, but somehow it has an unusual angle to it, which you don't get quite so much now. I did some consultancy work with a company not that long ago, and they analyzed every other potential rival product to the nth degree that may possibly conflict or something you know yeah. and then wanted to present me with all of that all of those findings and i didn't want it i said i don't want I, because actually what that does is it influences you and what i wanted to do was see through the ideas that i had and see how they fitted once you put them in front of a music, you know, somebody with some serious musicality, as opposed to because you can just oh well they've got this and they've got oh so we might as well do that and then before you know it the thing that you've had this is not the thing anymore. idea to is not it anymore yeah yeah there's a great gag in the chat room just is the only EU the only time I think uh, the European Union and Eurorack and Brexit can be linked together which is apparently now obviously now we're leaving the EU we're not. No longer going to be able to buy Euro Rack in the UK. <laughs> It'll be called Brexit Rack. Ta-da! Great gag. Thank you, Azzy. Ahead. That's awesome. <coughs> Hello, guys. Did you get a chance to see this? I'm guessing um, you may have been busy, but... No, no, I haven't. Uh, but I did want to sort of pick Dave up just purely, like, mentioning Bright Sparks quickly. Maybe some people don't know what that is. It's just an absolutely amazing film that Dave was involved in, which is telling the histories of four... Eight is it eight in total? Um, yeah, synthesizer pioneers, uh, and it's a it's a full like feature like documentary. Uh, what amazing piece of work! Sorry, just in case people didn't know what he was talking about when he said bright sparks. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, that, that's fair enough. I think that's. But Gaz, I mean, what do you think about that? That this notion that uh, you know, when Tony Rolando, he's the make noise guy who started out. In fact, Tony Rolando is the guy who. Uh, 
Well, he plays this at some point. Does that, yeah, he plays this at some point in it as well, of the Zero Coast, which we've got in for review. But the, the notion that people were working very much in isolation, even in the same country, east to west coast, it's like 3,000 miles or so. So you don't get the opportunity even to ring somebody and sort of go, I'm working on this. And, and that whole collaborative thing, while it's exp- it made some fantastic things happen, like as Dave said, it can also inhibit because you're, you're constantly referring to what, is so easily accessible and so that kind of purity of a new idea which has been unfettered by influence is lost to a degree do you, i don't know what do you think yeah but i i mean i don't know to what end though i mean uh, i'm sure there's still loads of that going on though people a lot of like uber nerds just are not interested in anything except what they're working on so i don't know um uh yeah <laughs> I, don't know what to say. I don't know. I feel the same. I, mean, I, I feel the same. So if I'm working on something, I don't tend to think. I like to see the idea through till I've got an idea of what it is, and then I might go right. Is there anything out? Here? You know, I'd, I'd rather see it through to a point. Whether it's an idea for a workflow enhancement or whether it's an idea, I'll, I'll, I'd rather figure out what it is and then go. Is there anything I can buy that does this already? If not, then I could got to get various different bits and hook them together. Or if there is, but it costs way more than I'm prepared to spend, then I'll figure out another way of doing it. You know, in that. And again, in musical things, I mean, because we always, we always have as humans, it's a, the, the natural thing to pattern recognise. So somebody plays you a track, you're thinking, oh, sounds a bit like it's got a bit of this about it, or it's got a bit of that about it. I'm sure it's the same when you're thinking about synthesizers. Yes, I wanted the envelope to do this. Oh, what you mean, like the Moog or like the, you know, well, well no, um, maybe not. It was something completely. I thought it was completely different, and that isolated idea maybe is what's missing. I don't know. Yeah, although I think S has a reasonable point with a lot of uh, a lot of the uber nerds i suppose they do research stuff and look at paint and stuff but i can i can imagine you know the, some si- of the, the singularity of nerds are just like no 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 i'm doing this because mm. that's their kind of focus at that time yeah like why would i want to know what anybody else is doing this is my idea that i want to see through but, but you know? I, 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 the, the thing i'm struggling with though with the question though nick is isn't more unbelievable creativity stuff happening now than ever before though oh yes i'm sure you're right i'm sure you're right i mean i I, and it in it it, what you get is a kind of group collective advancement rather than individual Mm. stuff but then i think there's a there's a danger of of it being focus group type stuff Mm. i mean not by design necessarily but by by hive the hive synthesizer is one of the most bonkers things i've seen in a long time the yuhi one no, no, no. The the physical, the little thing. It's almost like a. It's almost like got a stylophony sort of foil. Ah, like yeah. Foil synthesizer. <clears throat> there's a new. Uh, there's a new video of that being used, and he's playing the synth with their drum brushes. You know, it's that. It's such a different product that is. I think it's. Uh, that's almost as though it's been developed in a, in a vacuum. Um, Hive. What's H Y V E. But, um, yeah, well, actually, the, the, um, uh, uh, Rand said in the chat room, uh, which I think I can hit there, said I don't get the uh, always talk about East, West, East Coast versus West, West Coast, but EMS were probably more my heroes, which is actually a good point because they were neither. There was a British, and that was an in, in isolation kind of thing, and that's very... <laughs> Very kind of. That's a completely separate thing. You you talked about the EMS in uh, in, in in that, and it, it's it yeah because it's keyboardless, isn't it? It's more scientific and experimental, which I guess figures around the uh, east, the west coast kind of vibe more so. 
but but I think they were. Well, I mean, talking to Zinoviev was amazing and it was really fascinating. But you know, I've actually been spending a lot of time with the AKS. Uh, I was kind of like, I need to, because <laughs> it's kind of weird. There's a load of musos that I know who have them, and they don't want to know how they work really because like those sort of happy accidents and playing battleships leads to these surprises and I got to this point and I was like I have to know how this works really in detail so I've been spending a lot a lot of time with it and it's a really fascinating instrument so if you think that this if you consider this instrument was pre-mini Moog it has three the AKS well and the EMS uh, the VCS3 has three oscillators so when I'm firing this up I'm kind of okay so the first thing is we set the sounds like with three oscillators in unison and then the the keyboard is in the suitcase part of it yeah and you have to set the kind of parameter scaling so that it plays at the top and the bottom fine and then everything in between plays fine so it's quite a it's quite an interesting experiment in itself uh, and then i suddenly realized oh okay vco3 is not calibrated in the same way that as vco1 or vco2 so it's clearly designed as an lfo so it's so mini-mode-like, and one of the things that is revealed in Bright Sparks is that uh, either Bob came to the U I think Bob came to the UK to meet with Peter Zinoviev with a view to RA Moog distributing the VCS3. Ah. And the two would have just sat. As soon as I found that out, I was mm. like... That, again, just pieces so many things together. What I absolutely adore about the EMS thing is it was all a way of him, of Peter Zinoffiev, trying to fund his, um, yeah. his music national habit. museum. <clears throat> his, his, no, his national museum. That's what he wanted. Yeah. Wow. So it was like, well, we, we, we can't get an arts grant council for it because people are just going, well, electronic music is rubbish. Um, and so, well... How are we going to fund it? Well, let's make some instruments to fund it. Let's flock up. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. That gets back to that classic. How do you make a minimum? Start with two, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, just for those of you who might also be interested, uh, Thypol Sandra. Uh, we shot uh, yeah. an interview with Thypol Sandra at uh, Cymru Beats uh, a couple of weeks back or weekend or so ago, and we also. Uh, streamed his performance which we've also put up online i think beginning of the week and he starts a song with the synthy aks and it's just literally and he's picking it up and shaking it and so it's it's well worth watching i mean it's it's challenging material but it's got so many brilliant sounds and interesting things going on in it so i, I heartily recommend you watch that it's on our youtube channel it's one of the last two or three videos we put up um, but yeah i think that's probably uh uh, that's probably enough time for my plug. I don't know if anyone's anything got to add, but I've just realised how time's marched on, and it's uh, it's probably time for me to uh, put this whole thing to bed. I want to say thank you very much to everybody, and we've got a lot of people watching, which is awesome. So uh, thank you, everybody on YouTube and, and via... Well, you're all watching via YouTube, so that's awesome. So brilliant. Yeah, that Hive synthesizer, uh, the touch synth, I thought it was just worth mentioning because the Buckler stuff had... Didn't they have... They, well, they have those, like, foil keys, didn't they? Um, but, uh, the, yeah, that hive. I'm trying to find it. I can't find it. I, it's uh, only... Uh, oh, I've, sent, I've, I've sent you a link to it, but um, it's just that there's one thing. Uh, it's got it laid out. It looks like it's just a single octave of keyboard, of piano keyboard. But there's actually, I think it's eight octaves, is it? Um, across... So, like, depending where your fingers are, 
vertically on the keyboard is what Octavid plays. Ah, oh, okay, I see it. I got it here. So it's me. just uh, it, there's a lot of it's just so unusual. And then at the bottom, it's got like trill pads. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. It's such it's a, just a touch plate. Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just looking at it here. But uh, he's okay. just done a new. He's ah, done a that's new. Why. He's done a new video. I think it's only been out a couple of weeks. Uh, Scott, uh, the guy who's invented it. But, you know, he's playing it with, he's actually playing it with their drum brushes at some point. You know, it's just a very peculiar way of, uh, <laughs> so it, I, I just thought it was relevant because, you know, talking about ideas that are almost <laughs> in isolation. This is such, yeah, yeah. It's, such it's 60 note polyphony as well. So it's actually a, a but it's only one it, octave. <laughs> How's that possible? No, it's, no, I said to you, Nick, I said that those keys, depending where you're touching the keys, the octaves are kind of mapped in the single key. Ah, so, so the slide. Up, right. So you've got different, so you play it higher up if you want higher notes and lower down. Uh, and then it's got another way of playing the notes. It's got the kind of uh, the isomorphic approach above it. So you wow. Can just, oh, yeah, uh, I have to check that out. I, I always get yeah. a bit nervous about isomorphic keyboards because I just don't know what any of them mean. I have enough that, trouble that, playing the, yeah, the, the that roller. One, though, Nick. That Look one. That one. It's trying to combine both ideas yeah. in the same. In the same. But it, I should just say it's Hive spell H-Y-V-E, y. which is why you yeah. can't find it anywhere. Um, <laughs> that's why um, alright well no thank you Gaz that's great um, so I think I'm probably going to have to uh, wind things up just because we've been streaming for uh, over an hour uh, well well over an hour um, so thank you very much everybody for joining us it's been great uh, once again don't forget if you want to enter the isotope competition all you got to do is tweet the hashtag art of the voice and the hashtag vocal synth to at sonic state and at isotope inc that's the hashtag art of the voice that's one word and the hashtag vocal synth is one word to at sonic state and at isotope inc and then you'll be entered for the competition and we will hear uh, you'll hear next week whether or not you won and congratulations to mechanic music do get in touch um if you want to claim your copy but that's it for this week thank you very much for watching dave uh thank you for joining us and persevering through your network problems it seemed we had a double double header of network today um so thanks for, thank you no thank you nick and don't forget check out g4software.com for all fine musical instruments uh and uh various different editions and libraries for the uh mtron pro all that sort of stuff please do and also, thank you very much to Gaz Williams. Actually looking pretty fresh from Glastonbury. So, uh, you know, I think you've done, last time you were at Glastonbury, you, you did sound like you'd been at a party for days and had no voice, I think. So <laughs> you've obviously been very um, restrained. I, did, I partied till 10 o'clock Monday, Monday. Night. Morning. Oh, morning. Bloody hell. Because yeah. uh, our gig was at 1 o'clock in the morning, so it was a... It was the post-gig party. <laughs> wow. And, and I, when I left, it was in full swing. So it wasn't fizzling at all. <laughs> um, Jesus. I suppose there's no point in trying to get out of the place because it's so muddy and so difficult to get out. You may as well wait till the queue's gone at least. Yeah. I got out easy. I left. I waited until about 7 o'clock, half past 7. It was easy. It was, a, it was straight, straight out. I, I managed. I don't know. Maybe I was very fortunate, but it was... Uh, yeah, it was cool. I was uh, parked a long way away, though. Um, but we bought one of those little... Um, we 
bought one of those little trolleys that was extremely helpful yeah trolleys even in mud yeah definitely i can thoroughly recommend that you do that anyway guys thank you very much for joining us look forward to speaking to you again soon and that's it for sonic talk uh number two what was it uh 453 see you next week see you later